Hi, I'm Josh Chang, and I'm an analyst at the Center for Strategic and Budgetary Assessments. I'm joined here by Brian Fedashik, a research analyst at Georgetown Center for Security and Emerging Technology. So today, Ryan and I are here to talk about China as a world-class military. So Ryan, I'm not sure if you saw this, but um, there's a Newsweek article here that talks about uh, Xi Jinping's remarks uh, to China's People's Liberation Army, the PLA, uh, where he urges them to be prepared uh, for military struggle. And I think the context of these remarks are made amidst the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan um, and Xi's insistence that the PLA sort of prepare to address security challenges uh, along China's periphery. Uh, but sort of in your sort of take, Ryan, uh, if we're sort of assessing China as a world-class military, uh, what's your sort of progress report for them at this very moment? Do you think they're reaching their that status? Do they have some ways to go? What's your sort of perspective on that? This is a, a really good question. I think it depends on how you define the goals, what world-class means to you. And so I know M. Taylor Frabel has written quite a bit about this. Uh, the 2020 China Military Power Report says that China wants a military that is equal to, or in some cases superior to, that of the United States. Uh, but I think if you're gonna assess progress, I'm biased, I look really closely at technology. And so the PLA's had these three modernization phases of mechanization, informationization, and intelligentization, where they're now trying to adopt AI. Uh, and so I, I think it's fair to say that the PLA is fully mechanized. Um, it's on its way toward being informatized, and it's starting to intelligentize. And that is to say that it's mostly got modern platforms, electronic warfare systems, uh, and a lot of motorized vehicles. It's starting to focus more on informatized local wars. It's got higher technology, especially in the cyber and space domains is like the commanding heights of strategic competition. Uh, and now we're seeing this push toward emerging technology. Um, I also think that this is evident in the focus on becoming a blue water Navy, developing new landing helicopter docks, expanding its diesel submarine force, uh, and even in basing where we're seeing discussion at least of a kind of string of pearls phenomenon from southern China to Pakistan. But there are still some areas of weakness in the Chinese military, uh, still some points of vulnerability. It really needs to do a better job of engaging the private sector in technology development. Uh, and in particular, there are still these training and, and cultural barriers. Uh, the training cycle is still very seasonal. And so you have huge apexes and then nadirs in readiness every year. And so I don't really know that it can reliably compete with the United States. But I think that this raises another really good question uh, for you, Josh, which is how you view the outlook from here. We know that there are these kind of three cascading modernization goals to be fully informatized by 2027, uh, to basically complete national defense and modernization by 2035, and then to become a world-class military by 2049. How do you think about these goals? Uh, and especially, how do you think about China's progress uh, in expanding maybe to the Western hemisphere? No, thanks for that question, Ryan. I think for one, there's sort of a two-pronged track to the PLA's modernization and procurement efforts. I think for from my aspect, you have the A280 sort of regional dominance sort of portfolio they're going for, but at the same time with the development of the Blue Water Navy, as you mentioned, uh, there also, there's also an aspect of uh, power projection abroad. And I think it's often framed in the sense of either or, but I don't think that's the right framework to have. I think uh, analysts should be looking more of the sense that 
uh, these two portfolios can be pursued simultaneously. So there's a degree of simultaneity in the way that the PLA is progressing along its modernization track. Um, and when I think of sort of the world-class military status that the PLA is trying to go for, uh, I think in the near future and you know, going even beyond, we should be taking a closer look at how uh, the PLA will further develop in, uh, especially the P2 power projection sort of envelope. Uh, so far, globally, we've seen the PLA do uh, peacekeeping operations. We've seen them do sort of evacuation of Chinese nationals um, from conflict zones. But I sort of classify these as soft activities and not yet on the lines of what the U.S. does with a hard sort of military combat operations abroad. Um, but I can foresee the Chinese doing that. And they have a latent capability to do that because they have the carrier. They're starting, they, have, they clearly have a blue water Navy. The assets are there. We just have to get, we have yet to see them in action. And I think it points to this broader principle in terms of U.S. assessments of Chinese military power of, you know, how does the U.S. assess adversary potential and performance uh, from, just the, from just the procurement and capabilities that an adversary makes? And in addition to that, I think U.S. assessments will, have to, will also have to consider uh, how does PLA procurement influence our own reactions and our own capability procurements uh, in the long term. And I think for this uh, global power projection mission that the PLA is interested in, I think we're seeing the contours of it uh, take shape. You know, as Beijing sort of makes these investments in BRI, buys up infrastructure, uh, we're seeing sort of light contours show up around the world, including the Western Hemisphere. Uh, but we have yet to see that translate into direct infrastructure that serves the military. Uh, but yeah, we need to take a look, that, look at that in the near future. It's really insightful. Thanks for your time, Josh. Thanks so much, Ryan.